Welcome to the Disciple Dare, a four-week series to challenge you to discover what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. More info on the Disciple Dare can be found at ViennaSDA.org. Pastor Jennifer Deans shows you through stories from the Bible how living the dare will give you hope in troubled times and joy in life. In this message, Signs and Maps. Jesus was um, walking with the disciples and as he's um, walking with the disciples, they're leaving the temple grounds, and the, temples are go- and the disciples are going, the temple is so beautiful. We love it. It's gorgeous. And they're marveling at the structure and how the architecture was just perfect and how Solomon knew what he was doing. And Jesus looks at them and says, yeah, I tell you the truth. Not one of those stones is going to be left on top of the other. What? What are you talking about, Jesus? And so they follow along quietly, not really sure what to say or how to respond to Jesus's random outbursts. And then they get to the Mount of Olives and they're all sitting around and they pipe up, okay, Jesus, well, what's the signs of your coming going to be? What are the signs of your coming going to be? Jesus says, okay, I'll tell you. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, page 802. Matthew chapter 24, page 802. Verse 3 says, 24, 802, verse 3 says, Later Jesus sat at the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him privately. Tell us when all of this will happen. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? The disciples are really perplexed. What is Jesus talking about? Why is he saying the disciples, the temple is going to be torn down? That's just not cool. This is a symbol of everything we worship. This is a symbol of God. And they're like, well, it must be torn down when, when the world gets destroyed. That's what he's talking about. That's, that would be the only time that God would allow this beautiful Ephesus to be torn down, right? And so they ask him, okay, Jesus, so tell us what it is, what, how are we going to know when this is going to happen? We want to know when the end of the world is going to take place because that's the only time you're going to tear down your temple. And so Jesus goes through a whole bunch of stuff. He says, well, I don't want anybody to mislead you. Don't want anybody to scare you. There's going to be false messiahs that come around. What do you mean? There's going to be people who claim to be messiahs and they're, they're going to come around. That's sign one. That's one of the signs before the end of the world, before I come back again, people are going to claim and claim to be me. Okay, what else? Well, um, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars and nations fighting against nation and kingdom against kingdom. They're like, yeah, pretty much already happening. It's why we're here in Rome, why we're in Jerusalem, why we're captives by the Roman government. There's wars happening. All right, so Jesus says, So they're like, oh, so it's coming soon. No, not quite soon. There's going to be all sorts of famines and earthquakes and natural disasters and all this. And they're like, oh, so that's how the temple's going to get torn down. The famine, the earthquakes and the natural disasters, that's what's going to happen. And Jesus says, well, this is just the first pains. It's just the birth pains. You have a lot of time left after all of these things happen. And if, if I was the disciple sitting there, 
my whole concept of what was going to happen because their worldview was very different than ours. They thought Jesus was going to set up his kingdom right now. So they thought when he came, when he came, he was going to overthrow the Romans and they were going to be part of his ruling kingdom here on earth. And so as Jesus is talking through all of this stuff, as he's saying the temple's going to be torn down and there's going to be false messiahs, false me, they're starting to get a concept that this might not be happening right now. It's very different from the worldview. And then there's famines and earthquakes and wars. And then, then it tells us in verse 9, then you will be arrested, persecuted, killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will run rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. That's a horrible description that Jesus is talking about. By the way, because you're my followers, you're going to be thrown in jail. You're going to be hated. You're going to be persecuted. They're going to kill you. Um, people are gonna, who claim to be my followers, they're going to fall away. And as he keeps going, if I was sitting there, I would be terrified. What are you talking about, Jesus? And he's like, it's going to get really, really bad. In fact, look down to verse 22. Jesus is talking, and he says, In fact, unless the time of calamity is shortened, not a single person would survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. So God is, Jesus is sitting there, and he's telling the disciples, and he's scaring them half out of their minds. The temple that you love is going to be torn down. There's going to be false messiahs, there's going to be false religions, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, there's going to be persecution, you're going to be killed, people are going to fall away, fathers are going to turn against their children, and brother against brother. In fact, it's going to get so bad, if I don't cut it short, no one would survive. No one would survive. Then he says, In verse 14, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it, and then the end will come. And as they're talking here, I can just imagine the disciples. What is he saying? Jesus goes through this massive list that affects every part of their life. Let's look and let's see How how many of these things have happened? First of all, he says um, there's going to be false prophets and false messiahs coming. Have any of those appeared? How many of them can you name? False people who claim to be Jesus Christ coming back to earth. Um, David Jones, David Koresh, Heaven's Gate Movement in March 1997. There's people all over the place that claim to be Jesus Christ. So we have false prophets, but not only that, we have false movements, false religion that are happening all over the place. In this century alone, the interest in the cult and in satanic things has skyrocketed beyond anything else. It is all over the place. There, I, there is tons of them all over the place. You know, it tells us that these false prophets, they're going to be able to perform signs and wonders, Jesus says. So much so, look in verse 23. It says, Matthew 24, it says, I tell you, um, if anyone tells you, look here, 
um, or there, don't believe it. For the false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I've warned you about this ahead of time. So God's saying, listen, not only is there going to be false prophets out there and there's going to be fake religions and people trying to pull you away. What Satan loves to do is he adds just enough truth with lies to get you to bite onto it. And it says that these false prophets and false messiahs are going to be so good that it would deceive even God's elect, God's people who are so tight with God, if it were possible. It stops just sort of being able to deceive them. They can see through. But what type of signs and what type of wonders are these prophets going to be able to do? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 13, verse 13. Revelation 13, verse 13. Page 1016. Revelation 13, verse 13. 13, verse 13 says, He did astonishing miracles, even making fire flash down to the earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. So then jump over on the page right next door. 16, chapter 14, it says, There are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the worlds to gather them for battle against the Lord and on the great judgment day day of God Almighty. So we have demons masquerading, performing these miracles, calling fire down from the sky, stuff that they sure wish they would have been able to do on Mount Carmel when Elijah is up there and they're doing, they're testing which God is the true God. And Elijah says the, the God that burns up the sacrifice with fire is the God. And so the 450 prophets of Baal are jumping around, slashing their arms, and they're trying to get their God's attention. And Elijah is mocking them. Maybe you should scream a little louder. Maybe you should cut yourself a little deeper. Your God's on vacation. Well, Satan's powers were blocked. He wasn't allowed to call fire down from heaven. And God was the God that day that cast fire down from heaven. But it tells us in the end times that God is going to let back on some of the control and the demons and the evil spirits and Satan are going to be given power to do stuff that they were never given power to do before. And it's going to be so great and so miraculous that it's going to be very deceiving. And as the disciples are sitting there, oh my goodness, all of this is going to happen. What, what else is going to happen? There's going to be famines and earthquakes. And floods and natural disasters. Have we had any of those? We've definitely had a whole bunch of those. In fact, the 20th century, has, um, there has been 35 in the last few years. There's an average of 35 earthquakes a day, which equals um, 12,000 to 14,000 a year. So there's 12,000 to 14,000 earthquakes a year right now on average in our world. There's an average of 35 of them a day. Not all cosmic, the big crazy kinds, but these earthquakes. The earth is beginning to move. It's beginning to shake. And Jesus, he predicted this. He said this is going to happen. In fact, there's been more earthquakes in the last hundred years than they said throughout the rest of earth's history that's recorded. The earth is going crazy. The earth is shaking There's been a lot of wars and rumors of wars. 
In fact, they tell us that the 20th century is the bloodiest of all centuries with over 180 million deaths from war alone in the 20th century. They're crazy. As Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's telling them all these things, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 9, he says, the sun is going to be darkened, the moon's going to shed no light, the stars are going to fall, the heaven will be shaken. He is describing an earth that just before Jesus come is just getting so sick of sin and it's just falling apart. He describes a society that is even going worse than the world is. He says there's going to be persecution and many people are going to fall away and sin is going to be rampant. Have we seen any of that in our societies today? You know, think about our society today, the moral decay that is happening with one, um, over three-thirds of marriages breaking up and ending in divorce. You've got a one in four chance nowadays sometimes of making it. And it's because instead of going into relationship with God, they're going in with selfish regions. And with selfish regions, two selfish people can't be in a relationship for all that long. Over one-third of the babies born today in the United States are born from unwed mothers. Most of them teenagers. The moral decay is going down. It is, our society is beginning to shake. God promises the disciples, hey, listen, you're going to get persecuted. You're going to, you know, have people hate you, throw you in jail, and all sorts of horrible, nasty things. It's a little scary. Why does God allow this? It doesn't seem like, why, why wouldn't he just come when everything's good and when it's rosy? Why would he, why would this happen? And he tells us, if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, page 787. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus is talking to the disciples, the 12 disciples. Matthew 10, verse 16 says, Look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. But beware. Okay, so Jesus starts out, By the way, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Is that a really safe place for a sheep to be? No, sheep is dinner food. That's, um, it's really dangerous. And so Jesus then begins to describe the danger that we're going to be put in. He says, For you'll be handed over to the courts and you'll be flogged with whips in the synagogues. So you're going to be taken to trial and then at church they're going to flog you. You'll stand trial before governors, kings, because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. Do you see how God threw that in there? Often we think that the best time to talk to people is in the good times, but it's actually when, um, in the bad times, when stuff is going bad, wrong in our lives. I mean, we'd heard, we've heard story after story about um, victims who, like, I don't know the details, but in Africa during apartheid, how people were, would go in and they would kill someone's son or daughter, and then how that person afterwards would go stand up for them in court and ask for them to be lenient. And we're like, well, how can you do that? How can you do something like that? It's not something we can do on our own. 
when we're going through the hardest of times, the worst of times, that's when we have an opportunity to share about Jesus. And that's when people to stand up and notice. If we're talking about Jesus in a time that everything's going good, yeah, it's a good thing and we should be. But when we shouldn't be happy, when we shouldn't have peace and we're talking about Jesus, people stand up. They notice. But Laodicea is a very good example of how we are in a society today, what it looks like for us to be. Because they're lukewarm. And actually, I've been to Laodicea, and what Jesus talks about, he's like, you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. What you don't understand is Laodicea didn't have a water source of its own, so they had to pipe water in from two different towns. The two different towns, one, they piped in hot water from hot springs that were actually considered healing waters and healing springs because of the mineral content in the water. And the other town they piped water in was freezing cold water. And it was also considered healing water because of how cool it was. But by the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. And when you drank it, if you weren't, if you weren't an inhabitant of Laodicea, because it was lukewarm, because of the mineral content, it literally would make you throw up. And so what God is saying is, I can't stand your lukewarm. I can't stand your apathy. And it does fit very well with this. Because there's all this violence happening, this world going on. And what we enjoy watching on TV is murder. And it doesn't bother us that people are dying around the world. And that apathy, that, that feeling like we're wealthy, the picture of Laodicea, it does fit with what Jesus is talking about when he's telling his disciples what's going to happen at the end of time. It fits with a picture of violence that's going to happen, the way we're going to be treated. But Jesus tells us at the end of chapter 10, he says, you know, you can't expect any different treatment if they treated me that way. If they call me Beelzebub, which is the devil and Satan, they're going to call you worse things. And so as Jesus is sitting there with the disciples and as he's going through all of this stuff, I imagine they're terrified. They've asked him a simple question, which they think is a simple question. He's going to say, I'm going to start my kingdom in about five years. You guys will be heads of the kingdom and it'll be great. And they're and instead they get, um, your society's going to fall apart. The temple's going to fall apart, which it did in AD 70. Um, Everything's going to happen. You're going to be persecuted. And they're, they're like, what? And I don't know about some of you, but thinking about the end times can be a really scary thing. My mom, um, before she was Adventist, when she had just married my dad, she went on a family vacation. Well, not a family vacation. They had a family reunion. And she went to pick her um, half-sister up, who lived two hours away, and drove her back to the family reunion. So her and my dad went and drove and picked up my Aunt Terry. Then after the family reunion, my dad somehow got the flu and was very, very, very ill afterwards. And so he went home, and my Uncle Jack, my dad's brother, decided to go with my mom and my Aunt Terry and to drive Terry home. And the whole while, my Aunt Terry had become a Jehovah's Witness. And so my Aunt Terry was sharing with my mom about what Jesus is just sharing with his disciples, that you're going to be persecuted. And by the way, one day... Someone's going to say, if you don't deny Jesus, I'm going to, you know, you can't eat. I'm not going to sell you any food. And what would you do? And my mom's like, I deny Jesus. That's a pretty easy question. I need my food. I need my food to feed my kids. And my Aunt Terry's like, no, you can't do that. If you do that, you'll go to hell and you'll burn in hell. And um, scared my mom for two and a half hours, terrified my mom about what's going to happen. You're going to be persecuted and they're going to take you to court and all these natural disasters are going to happen. And she goes through the same list and she's got my mom horribly scared. How I kind of imagine the disciples are sitting there listening to Jesus going, what are you talking about? 
And so they dropped my Aunt Terry off, and my, my mom looks at my Uncle Jack, who had grown up Adventist. She's like, Jack, you know the Bible. You know about this stuff. You tell me. And he's like, but Kathy, I'm not in the church. I don't want to talk about this, but I'll, you know, I'll give you someone to talk about, to talk to. So she, he gave my mom the name of an Adventist couple. And she went over and over and over with them and finally joined the church. And, but even after joining the church, they still hadn't quite answered the question of, you know, the end time events. And it got so bad that my mom actually got suicidal. She had um, three kids, my, uh, my brother, my sister, and I, and my dad. And she told us that she actually started thinking about ways that she could kill all three of us kids, kill my dad, and kill herself. She was so scared of the end time events that she was going to take us all out. And... She started, she started going to a Bible study, and in the Bible study, they read a passage from Our Higher Calling. And this is the passage they read. It says, We are not to have the courage and fortitude of martyrs of old until brought into the position they were in. Should there be a return of persecution, there will be grace given to arise for every energy of the soul to show true heroism. And as she began to realize that, she began to see something that God, why was God telling the disciples all of this? Was he trying to terrify them? As he's sitting there and as he's watching the disciples' reaction, Jesus seems to know, and that's what I love about Jesus and his teaching, is he seems to understand when it hasn't sunk home, it hasn't quite gotten there yet, and the disciples aren't quite getting it. And so Jesus says, well... Okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you a few parables. I'm, going to, I'm still trying to answer your question about what are the signs of my coming, but you're, I've got you scared right now, and that's not my purpose. And so he says, listen, it's like, um, and they're, they're sitting outside. And so Jesus probably looks up, and he sees a vulture flying around. He says, you see that vulture? What do you know is around if there's a vulture flying in circles? And they're like, a carcass. And he's like, exactly. We know by seeing the vultures that the carcass is around. They still don't quite get it. And he's like, okay, what season is it? We can look at the fig trees and we can see when the fig trees are budding, that it's the spring going into summer. We can tell by what's going on what season it is. And as Jesus is sitting there explaining to his disciples what's happening, he's like, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to give you tools to understand what is going on. Knowledge is power. If you know it's coming, when you start seeing it happening, it doesn't have to scare you. And they're still not getting it. They still don't understand what's going on. And so Jesus says, listen, I can't tell you when I'm going to come back because only the Father knows when I'm coming back. And they're, I, I just, I imagine them still speechless, not being able to talk, not knowing what to go on. And so Jesus says, listen, it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. You know, there's going to be all this persecution, all this upheaval going on, but at the same time, people aren't going to have noticed, they're not going to have changed. They're going to be eating and drinking and giving in marriage and just going on as usual. People are going to be saying peace and safety and everything's fine, but that's not what is going to happen. When Jesus comes back, when I return, it's going to be like a thief in the night. 
They're like, okay, you just scared us half to death, and now you're telling us, now, you, now we don't know when it is. But Jesus is trying to get a po- across a point. He's trying to tell them, listen, I've given you this information for a reason. It's so you can understand the season of life you're in. And as they're walking through, he says, okay, well, how about this? It, how smart would it be for a thief to um, come up to you and knock on your door, say, hi, my name is Joe. By the way, tomorrow at 9.37, I'm going to come back and I'm going to rob your house. So it would make it a whole lot easier on me if you just leave the door open and not be here. You know, and don't call the cops, please. You know, uh, what, what would your response be? Jesus, you know, uh, we would be there. That We would not let our home be broken into. In fact, we'd probably call the cop right now. By the way, there's someone planning on breaking into my house, and he's standing here right now telling me. And Jesus is telling them this story, and he's like, listen, God doesn't tell us when he's going to come back, because if he told us when he was going to come back, then, you know, 30 seconds beforehand, we go, dear Jesus, I'm so sorry, thank you, Amen. And he doesn't want us to live this fake life and to go on. And as, as he's telling more parables, he goes through the rest of the chapter and all through the next chapter telling more parables that explain this. If you look in Matthew chapter 24, verse 45, Matthew 24, verse 45, it tells us, a faithful, sensible servant is one whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the, remaster, if the master returns and finds the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But if the servant is evil and thinks, hmm, my master won't be back for a while, and then he begins beating the other servants and partying and getting drunk, the master will return unannounced and unexpected. And he will cut the servant into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. That is a place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus is telling them, listen, all these things are going to happen. There's going to be false prophets. There's going to be false religions. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and national disasters. And you're going to be persecuted. And by the way, you don't know when it's going to happen. But we have a clue. Just as we know the seasons, we can tell by when these things start happening that Jesus is coming back. It's going to happen soon. But I'm not going to tell you when because I want you to be prepared. And as he's trying to explain to them what it means to be prepared, he uses the story of the sensible servant. And what the sensible servant is doing, when he's smart, he's taking care of other people. Jesus is trying to get the point across to his disciples that one of the signs of who my people are is going to be that you're taking care of other people. You're out there loving them. You're out there showing the way for me so that when I come back, it doesn't matter when I come back, I'll find you doing what is right. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. Disciples, like, yeah, cool, God. What are we going to be in charge of? Jesus is like, you're not getting it. So he tells him another story. He says, there was a wedding feast taking place, and there's the, the bridegroom delayed in coming. And there's ten virgins, and they're hanging out, and they're waiting, and he is taking so long. And pretty soon, it's starting to get dark, and it's getting chilly. And so they, they lay down on the corner, and they go to sleep. 
And around midnight, a call is heard. The bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom is coming. And so all four girls jump up, and they're trying to straighten their dresses, and they're trying to make sure they look okay. And they realize that their lamps have gone out. Five of them brought extra oil. And so they quickly trim the lamps, and they pour their oil in, and they light them, and they're ready to go. And the other five girls are like, oh, no, we didn't think he was going to be this long. We didn't think it was going to take this long. Can we have some of your oil? And they're like, we don't have enough to share. And so the bridegroom comes as the five girls are out looking for oil, and they go into the wedding feast, and then the girls come knocking on the door, and they're like, let us in. And the bridegroom says, I don't know who you are. And the disciples, what does a wedding have to do with anything? We're talking about when you're going to come back again. What are, you, what are you talking about? And Jesus is like, I'm trying to get a point across. I've given you the signs of when I'm going to come. And just like you can tell the seasons by what the trees are doing, you'll be able to know when I'm coming back by these signs. And you've got to be ready. You need to be taking care of other people. But you've got to be personally prepared. No one can take care of you. Every single one of us has our own duty, our own job, and our own responsibility to make sure we're ready. I can't make sure Kevin's ready, and he can't make sure I'm ready. I've got to be doing what I need to be doing to make sure that I'm right with God, because if God comes back unannounced and unready and I'm unprepared, it's not anybody else's fault. I've had all night long that I could have gone and gotten oil. It's my fault. And so Jesus is telling them, listen, you've got to be ready and you've got to be prepared. You've got to take care of other people, but you've got to be ready yourself. And then Jesus says, well, there's something else, the parable of the talents. He says a master goes away on a trip, but before he leaves, he gives talents out, a lot, a lot of money out to his servant. He gives to one servant five talents gives to another ten, and to another one. And he leaves on the trip, comes back after a while, and he calls for a record of his money. And the person with ten talents comes in and says, I made you double. And he says, good job, good and faithful servant. And he sends him off. The person with five comes in and says, I've made you double. Good job. And then the last servant comes in and says, I knew you were a wicked man, harvesting where you hadn't sown and So I buried your money, and here it is. Take it. And he gets thrown out, and his talent gets given to another. What in the world is Jesus trying to talk about? He's he's got the succession of things. What is he talking about? He tells us that he gives us the signs of his coming and tells us that while we're watching them, we know this is when he's going to come. And then he tells them, you've got to be ready because nobody knows the hour. And you have to take care of other people, but you have to be ready yourself. And while you're waiting, God has given each one of us a job to do. Each one of us has been given a talent and a gift that God is expecting us to use for his service. And if God shows up and we haven't done something with our gift, he's going to be disappointed. We're not fit for the kingdom. He gives us a gift, and he gives each one of us a gift that we can handle, the amount we can handle, and God wants us to gamble with them. And he promises that when you try me, 
I'm going to multiply your gifts. You don't have to know how to um, be a senator. I didn't ask you to be a senator. I asked you to work in a grocery store. Or I asked you to be a teacher. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to be something that you're not capable of doing. And God says that while you're waiting, while we're waiting, the way to be prepared is to use our gifts for his service. He's given us each talents. And the disciples are like, okay, but we don't quite understand. What does it mean to use our gifts for your service? And Jesus tells them another parable. He says, when the Son of Man comes back in his glory, he is going to divide the sheep from the goats. He's going to put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left hand. And then he turns and he says to the, goat, to the sheep, good job, welcome into the kingdom of heaven. For you, you visited me in the hospital, you clothed me when I was naked, you fed me when I was hungry, and you gave me water when I was thirsty. And they're like, really? When, when did we do that? Uh, Jesus, I don't ever remember meeting you before. And Jesus says, listen, every time you took care of somebody else, when you saw that person, that bum on the road, shivering because it was cold, and you took off your jacket and you gave it to him, you're giving it to me. Oh. And then he turns and he looks at the goats and he says, you're thrown into utter darkness And they're like, why? And he's like, because when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was in prison, you didn't come to visit me. You didn't take care of me. And they're like, Jesus, but we never saw you. We would have taken care of you. If we'd have seen you, we'd we'd have been there. And Jesus is like, don't you get it? The way you use your talents is taking care of the people that Jesus loves. He's looking at the disciple, and he's telling them something important. He's telling them the signs of his second coming. But not only is that, he's telling them how to be prepared. God in his love isn't trying to scare them. He's not trying to to just make them so scared they can't sleep at night, where they're always looking over their shoulder, wondering, when is it that I'm going to be put in prison? And when when is it that I'm going to... Oh, I just don't know. He's not wanting them to walk around in fear. In fact, if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it tells us in page 932, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, page 932. This is one of my favorite Bible verses, and this is the verse that my mom found in her Bible study. So she decided not to kill us, which I'm very glad about. This verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, or start in verse 12, it says, If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure it. Jesus is not trying to scare the disciples. In fact, he's given us promise after promise that I will be there with you to the very end of the age. He promises us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, there's nothing that's going to get thrown your direction that you can't handle with God's help, but you don't know you can handle it to the moment you need it. God doesn't send you a text message the week beforehand. By the way, 
you're going to get into a severe car accident and be a quadriplegic for the rest of your life in seven days. He doesn't do that. But he gives us the faith we need at the moment we need it. God doesn't give us those text messages, but he gave us a different text message because he didn't want us to be caught off guard. Because it tells us in Matthew chapter um, 24 that it's going to get bad, so bad that if he hadn't cut the time short, that we wouldn't survive. And that Satan's going to be so evil and so cunning and so powerful that unless we're so close to God that we will be deceived. And he doesn't want us to be deceived. Jesus says, listen, I'm telling you the signs of my coming. Let me ask you a question. How many of the signs of Jesus' coming listed in Matthew chapter 24 have happened? Have we had wars and rumors of wars? Have we had famines and earthquakes? Have we had persecution and sin running rampant? Has there been false prophets and false messiahs? So what's left to happen? There actually is one thing left. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, verse 13. Matthew 24, verse 13, page 802. Matthew 24, verse 13, verse 802. It says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. How do we endure? Jesus explained through the rest of the parables. We endure by being ready. We're ready by loving those around us and taking precautions, by using our talents. We're endured by loving the way that Jesus loves. And he says, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it and then the end will come. There's one thing that hasn't quite happened yet, and God is so beautiful, and he's so loving, and he's so fair, that he doesn't want to leave this world until absolutely everybody has had an opportunity to choose. And so he says, the thing that's going to happen just before I come back is that the gospel is going to go through the whole world. And what is the gospel? It's the good news that we are saved by grace. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But if we accept God's free gift of salvation, he gives it to us liberally, and he will not hold back. And so he says, I want people to know that. And as he's sharing with his disciples, as he's going over and over again in the parables, it comes back to loving other people. And God, in his love for other people, doesn't want to cut the time so short that anybody, not even one person, would miss the opportunity to make the decision for him. He tells us, then what is it going to look like for him to come back? Look at verse 27. He says, For as the lightning flashes, um, shines in the east and shines to the west, so will it be when the Son of Man comes. First of all, God says when the Son of Man comes, everyone is going to see him. As lightning flashes across the sky, it's noticeable. Everybody notices. It's not going to be something that happens in secret, and we're wondering, did Jesus come back, and did I somehow miss it? We also know that by looking um, at Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, page 1008. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Verse 1, page 1008. Revelation 1, verse 7 says, Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him. How many people will see him? Everyone. 
even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world were mourned for him. Yes, amen. So God tells us that there's one thing that's going to happen before he comes back. And when he comes back, it's not going to be something hidden. It's not going to be something we're going to miss. Every eye will see him. He's coming the same way that he went into heaven. He went into the clouds and he's coming back in the clouds. And so Jesus tells you when the false prophets come, I'm giving you a clue so that you know um, they're false. Every eye will see him. If every eye hasn't seen this person, he's not God. He's not Jesus coming back. He gives us clues. He shows us in his signs ways that we can understand the season we're living in. And we are living in the last season of world's history. There's only one thing left to do, and that's get the gospel, the good news out to the world. And then Jesus will come. Yeah, we may suffer persecution and we may go through hard times. But it also says as it was in the days of Noah, which means some people didn't notice anything. Other people were going through really rough times. So sometimes we think that, oh, until I I go to prison, I'm okay. I don't need to be all that worried. But we don't know. There's only one thing left to happen. The gospel's got to get to the whole world. And it tells us before Jesus come in Daniel chapter 12 that knowledge will increase and people will run to and fro. There is no time like our age when people have knowledge. We can pick up the phone and call somebody across the world and talk to them in real time. We can send an email and it be there seconds later. Knowledge is so accessible. The gospel is moving. If you look at the churches, especially in repressed countries, in the Soviet Union, in other places where they haven't been allowed the gospel, as the doors are opening, people are being baptized by the truckload. There's, there was a story, or um, an evangelist was in India, I think it was, and they took a picture from the sky, and a river was filled. I think there was like 40,000 people getting baptized, coming to Jesus in one day. God is moving. The gospel is spreading around the world. We don't have much time, but God is calling us in the time we have to use our gifts, use our talents, so that he can come back soon. He's promised us that he will never leave us nor forsake us, He's given us the signs so that we can tell when his coming is happening. His coming is happening soon. It's right at the door. What are you going to do about it? I want to ask you, the dares tonight is, do you believe that we are living in earth's final history? Can you see just by what Jesus laid out here that time is not a luxury that we have? Can you believe that Jesus will return and take us to heaven? Jesus promised us he would. He wouldn't give us signs. He wouldn't let us know what was going to happen. If he was then going to show up and say, oops, sorry, nope, you're not coming. He wants to take us there. But do you want to be a sheep or do you want to be a goat? Do you want to be the person that said, but Jesus, I didn't see you. I didn't use my gifts. I didn't love people the way you wanted me to. If you do want to be one of the sheep, spend time with Jesus and fall in love with him so that you can fall in love with the world around you. And I dare you to do all that you can to be ready when Jesus comes and to help other people do the same.
we can't get there without each other's help. It tells us in 2 Corinthians, look up page 942, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians... Chapter 6, verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. We might not be going back with Jesus tonight in heaven. Who knows? Maybe he'll come back in a few hours. But today is the day when you can choose to begin to continue developing your character to be fit for heaven. And I, I want every single one of you to be there. We are living in Earth's final history. We just need people to get the word out to help us let people know about the good news of Jesus Christ in your skin, in your armor, because Jesus gave us the signs that he's coming back. You've been listening to The Disciple Dare from Pastor Jennifer Deans. We hope this message encouraged you as you learn to follow in Jesus' footsteps. If you'd like to learn more about how you can take the dare, drop by ViennaSDA.org. There you'll find resources to get connected to others like yourself and to help in your spiritual journey.